Hi, I'm Adam. And I'm Rob. And welcome to a brand new episode of the Hollowdale Media Podcast. Yeah! Let's go! <laughs> Are you okay? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm ready. I'm just ready to go. <laughs> I'm ready. Today's going to be a good day. Oh, God. You've had one cup of coffee in two weeks. And look at you. It's not the coffee, man. It's the goddamn nicotine patches. <laughs> now, I knew, I've heard nicotine patches give you weird dreams. I had the craziest dreams. One of my best friends offered to uh, ask me if I wanted to smoke heroin with him. <laughs> okay. And then we went for a bike ride. It's it's all been very strange. Yes, yes. Like, the, the interesting cycle of the day is you put the nicotine patch on and then you go hyper. Yeah. And then you crash and burn. And then I get sick. And then it, you have to add things on. You have to add LucasAid cherry and painkillers this is the story of a madman <laughs> well good okay oh, we've got some new energy in, we in the room today we do we do it's great so we've got a fantastic show as well have we we've got an absolutely brilliant show um listeners of the last episode will be very much aware that uh, the the word to choose the film mm. was robin Robin, so so Robin. Obviously, we couldn't do Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves because we mentioned it. Um, you could have done Robin with Russell Crowe. Yeah, Robin with Russell, Errol, 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 Errol Flynn, Errol Flynn's Robin Hood. Yeah, you could have done Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, you could any Robbie Williams movie. I could have done any Batman movie with with Robin in. Yeah, it. yeah. Um, but I went for the most obvious choice. Oh, yeah, of course, right. I went good. for the most obvious choice, good. which was in fact Jurassic Park Three. Right. Okay. I mean, do you want to know? I mean, for anyone who's not a complete idiot, I can say the link. I can say... Well, let's hold on for the link until the segment. All right, yeah. But, okay, I'm looking forward to hearing that. Yeah, but people, long-time fans will know that we're great admirers of Jurassic Park 3, and I'm very much looking forward to discussing it. Oh, yes. We have kind of talked about it before, but, you know, it's a film that deserves a deep dive. It a hundred percent does. Alan, Alan, Alan. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, you'll be happy to know that I've taken the plunge. I didn't know Bedford Oasis had opened again. I <laughs> don't even know what you're talking about. All right, what a plunge is this? I've taken the plunge and I've got myself now TV, and I've watched Justice League. You watched it? Yes. Are you going to talk about it? It will be reviewed on this very show, but for all those listening, you're welcome. Yeah, well, because maybe you're bloody welcome, actually. Saved you a watch, is that what you're getting at? Well, we'll see. We know. shall we'll see. see. We'll but see. it's a long old film. Frickin' Irishman Part 2. Ugh. The Irishman, Joe Pesky discovers a trident in Robert De Niro's bamboo. Okay, yeah, like it. Yeah. And there's a whip. And there's a whip. And there's a whip. It's a sex movie. Oh, we do have something else to talk about. Uh, the Academy Awards have been come out, the nominees. Yes, yes. Um, we haven't watched like hardly any of them. No, for the first time, I have no idea. Right. For the first time in years, I haven't seen any Best Picture films. Right. But I have seen all the animated ones. So <laughs> that might sum up the last year of our life. It's given me an indicator on ones I need to catch up on, but um, I've, some of them I haven't even heard of. Like I don't even know that I've missed them. We'll have a watchathon and we will discuss them on on Big Oscars Night or the episode closest to. Yes, good 
plan. I might even try and stay up this time. Really? It's on a Sunday? Why do I have it on a Sunday? I don't know. Is it so Saturday night? stupid. In LA. Is this? No, it'd be... Yes. Yeah? Yeah? Or would it be Sunday? Or Sunday no, it's afternoon. Sunday afternoon. Yeah. It's Sunday afternoon. Whatever. Anyway, well, have you been watching anything? I have. I've been watching um, The Terror, which is... Um, it actually came out a couple of months ago on BBC iPlay. It is uh, a dark tale of... Um, basically, it's, yeah, it's like this kind of horror come, thriller come... These uh, expedition of navy men in the 18th century, um, English navy men, they travel up on an expedition to find some sort of causeway which will become a trade route. Okay. Um, if they find it, it's they go down as heroes. It's the big book, so they have they lead two ships up on this expedition. Mm. However, the ships get frozen oh. in the ice, oh. so they have to kind of camp out for a year. A year? Yeah, because they're stuck there for the entire season and. Um, but something's a foul. There's a strange beast out in the wilderness and it begins attacking the crew. And it is it just ticks all the boxes for me. If you're kind of into spooky, dark, dimly lit horror kind of uh, bunch of bunch of manly men out at sea slowly losing hope as those around them disappear or are horrifically gored Ooh. you know it's very good it's oh, got, I need to watch it's it got it's got been... mystic Eskimo stuff in it it's got like alcoholic sailors and all this stuff it's, it's very good excellent yeah. you've upset my goober it's exactly that it's exactly that wonderful well, yeah I need to watch it I've been recommended it it's fantastic yeah I'm sit down hmm what have you been watching I can't remember oh. I've been diving back into the folk horror after last week's, after last podcast, uh, Witchfinder General, which inspired them all. Oh, have you got any uh, any tidbits, any morsels for us? Well, I've already reviewed it, but Field in England is... Chef's kiss. I've had that in my drawer for about five months. Yes, yeah, since, I, since I watched it. Didn't watch it. I haven't watched it in those five months. Oh, it's so I'm good. sorry. And I well, want to watch it. Good. I actually, really do. Good. And I will. I've also been playing. I had a hankering for the Wolfenstein games after listening to the soundtrack. I heard you. Did I hear you killing zombies this morning? Uh, no. That was Josh. Okay. <laughs> I, you, yeah, I heard you killing zombies last night. Oh, it's, oh, it's phenomenal. Love it. Because the, the old blood is like a prequel. Right. And it's just a bit silly. And there's lots of zombies around. Yeah. Yeah. Good fun. Love the soundtrack. So, um, without further ado, should we get into this stuff? Adam's Film Reviews, Zack Snyder's Justice League, 2021. So begins the end. I've never seen a being as strong. Maybe one. He's back. I spent a lot of time trying to divide us. 
I made a promise to him on his grave. I need to bring us together. There are enemies coming from far away. They serve an old power. This world is divided. No protectors here. No lanterns. No Kryptonium. It will fall in his name. I have turned the worlds to dust. All of existence shall be mine. I have a second chance. I am not gonna waste it. He said the age of heroes would never come again. Fighting the devil and his army. And now, I don't care how many demons he's fought and how many hells. He's never fought us united. Well, the day has finally come. For years, there's been an outcry for the unreleased version of the impressively average Justice League originally released in 2017. To summarise, DC was going down the toilet. To compare it with the success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the cinematic equivalent of DC Comics was shuffling away in the darkness. Batman vs Superman, in particular, stood out for being almost universally condemned as being too dark, too miserable and too up itself. Much of this blame fell on its director, Zack Snyder, and they had Warner Brothers wringing their hands in worry. For what was revealed to be a tragic set of circumstances, Snyder was forced to leave the unfinished Justice League production, only to be replaced by Joss Whedon, still reeling from its success under the Marvel banner. When Justice League was released, the evidence of Whedon's reshoots were clear to see. The film had been cut to pieces, restitched, and made much much shorter. To be fair, I didn't hate it, but the potential was always there for a greater film. Fast forward to today, and it's here! The Snyder Cut has been released in all its glory, and you know what? I'm hugely impressed. Well, for the most part. The story kicks off with the end of Batman vs Superman. Specifically, the moment Superman dies. Yep. In his agonising moments of death, his scream is enough to send roller coaster like screams across the globe, awakening three ancient relics hidden away by the ancient gods. These relics, these so-called mother boxes, are the key to an ancient alien civilization's plan to dominate the universe, and with their awakening, bad things are due to happen. Still with me? Good. One of these mother boxes, guarded by the secretive Amazons, is the first to be found. In a flash of blue, the Amazons are overwhelmed by screeching flying demons wielding laser guns before their master, the horned armoured Steppenwolf, arrives to claim the first mother box. Steppenwolf, as we discover, is far from the surface level heavy metal demon he appears to be, and is instead seeking to impress his lord, the sinister and brutal Darkseid. His plan is to recover the mother boxes, opening a portal to Darkseid's realm and let the invasion of Earth begin, by first wiping out all life on the planet. 
With the first mother box stolen from the Amazons, the Amazon Queen lights a beacon to attract the attention of Diana Prince, aka Wonder Woman, played by Gal Gadot. As she uncovers the truth, Wonder Woman visits Bruce Wayne, played to perfection by Ben Affleck, and the two set out to try and unite the so-called metahuman, super-powered individuals across the globe, to try and forge an alliance to defend the planet now that Superman is no longer around. Speaking of the other metahumans, first we have Arthur Curry, aka Aquaman, played by Jason Momoa. We've got the comic relief Barry Allen, aka The Flash, played by Ezra Miller. And then we've got the the tragic Victor Stone, aka Cyborg, played by Ray Fisher. He goes without saying that with the padded runtime of this cut of the film, each character is given a lot more room to breathe. The Flash's introduction is, frankly, wonderful. But the real shock is Cyborg, who was practically absent from the theatrical cut of this film. In the Snyder Cut, we learn Cyborg's backstory, we see his pain of what he's become, a, a metal monster, with unbelievable power and abilities to hack into anything from the street corner ATM to the world's nuclear arsenal. As Batman and Wonder Woman gather the forces of the unnamed Justice League, the threat of Steppenwolf and his demon army grows ever more dangerous. But as the search for the missing mother boxes continue, the heroes must try and work out whether they have the strength and ability to work together. Or perhaps they need just one more member of the team. Look, I'm not going to be around the bush. The Snyder Cut is astonishing for its depth and scale. Unlike the theatrical cut, the Snyder Cut has a feel closer to that of Lord of the Rings in terms of mass epic storytelling. The biggest fear with Snyder's control over the DCU was his bleak, miserable films. But even here, despite the grungy filters over every shot, the tone here is lighter, with dry humour and some impressive action set pieces that managed to not go too far. I do miss some of the humour of the theatrical cut, but for the most part, this is a wholly superior film, and one I would recommend, although... Although, indeed, this is a long film, just shy of four hours if you discount the credits, and there is a lot going on. Thankfully, the film is broken into parts, which can be used as an excuse to break up the film, but watching it in one go was a slog. I would say the first half is genuinely amazing, but the second half kind of lost me a bit. I don't think this was just down to the film's length, but a lot of the pacing just seemed to wobble a bit. Snyder's obsession with slow motion where it isn't needed is also a teeth-grinding exercise, as was some of the frankly bizarre choices of music. The leitmotif whenever Wonder Woman popped up was also getting more than a little tiresome before the end. The end? Ah, let's not even talk about the end. Well, the... why? So, yes, I don't want to spoil anything, because this is a film that is worth your time. Well, once anyway. This won't be on any repeat viewings for me in a long, long time. If you fancy watching it and live in the UK, you'll need to sign up to Sky's Now TV. But hey, that's what seven-day free trials are for, right? Rob! Adam! I've noticed a little trend emerging. Do you have? And what's that? In the horror world, I've noticed this new 
a second wave of inanimate objects that murder people. I know, yeah, they're coming back. And um, sometimes you sigh and you think that's too dumb. That's that's enough. Nope. You're trying to. I've never done that. Do you know what? Oh, it's... Watch the, we watched before watching the Jurassic Park three. We saw a trailer for Killer Sofa, mm. and that looked incredible. Killer Sofa looks so good, and I think the part of Killer Sofa that I like is it's an inanimate object which has really got a personality. It so does. You can read its face. I didn't expect on. If I were to imagine Killer Sofa, I didn't expect the sofa to move around. No. I didn't expect it to stand up on its haunches and wobble about. No. Take itself <laughs> to a window and peer out menacingly. Because that's... Uh, the, the. It reminds me of Deathbed, the bed that eats. Yeah. Because that's kind of my assumption would be you sit in it, you get eaten, which is no. what Deathbed's about. Uh, you just, you're in it and then the bed goes... It's fully capable. Yeah, take itself around the house and out and about. It's, it's um, intelligent. Um, do you ever see Rubber? I did not. No, oh, you haven't seen it. I did not. Rubber is the film about a killer tire, a tire that gains sentience and uses psychokinetic powers to murder people. I think it's the most recommended film to me that I'm yet to watch. <laughs> it's like, uh, it, the things. It's it's very meta. It's very, it's very airy. I love it, but it is, it does have a small, pretentious streak in it. Mm. I say small. It's about the size of the Grand Canyon, but it's it's, it's fun. Um, the film we just saw the trailer to looks tip top. Mm. If you haven't seen it already, look up the trailer to Slacks. S L A double X. Oh man, it um it really exceeded my expectations. I was expecting um. Very crude effects, and I was expecting like a much lower level of um, of quality, of film quality, oh, and yeah. acting quality. But by the looks of it, they've got very good cast, a very capable cast. the The way they make the jeans move is fantastic. It's um, yeah, it's definitely got a good kind of uh, flow to it, how it kind of jolts about. Yeah. So for those who uninitiated, the uh, the plot to slacks. When a possessed pair of jeans begins to kill the staff of a trendy clothing store, it's up to Libby, an idealistic young sales clerk, to stop its bloody rampage. It's, it's I was wonderful. sold. Yeah. The moment we put the trailer on, it's produced by the people who made Turbo Kid, which is still one of my favourite oh, so uh, sort of B-listed films. Uh, yeah, Slacks, look it up. Killer Sofa, look it up. Yeah, both, I think, if you're into silly movies, the trailer's all you'll need to kind of be into it. I mean, this, I, like, what what kind of kicked this whole thing off? Do you go back to Christine? Would you count, like, I mean, the fog and the mist? Fog and mist is spooky in itself. So I guess... Uh, well, the mist, yeah. But then Christine, yeah, so the fog and mist is spooky and there's, there's pirate zombies. There's stuff in, in it, yeah, yeah, and big bugs. But yeah, Christine, I mean, is that the origin of the... Of the haunted object in film? Yeah. I'm not 100% sure. There must have been something else. I mean, yeah, I the don't know. The monkey paw. The monkey paw, the monkey's paw, yeah. But yeah, I, I just but, love the idea of something. But even a car. you I wouldn't classify a, a car as particularly silly. It's a bit silly, but then cars are such a big part of people's lives. And they do, cars are often called she and, you know, people name their cars. So there's something there. But then when it goes to a couch... 
or a pair of <laughs> jeans. It's such a huge, like, wonderfully welcome jump. Uh, well, I've recommended here wigs. The wigs. Right. What is I that? mean, I can imagine that being quite horrific. Yeah. If I, imagine a wig with a big gaping, Ugh. teethy maw, and you. <laughs> Or it like kind of deliberately drags you towards a propeller or something and gets you caught up in it. Oh yeah. What else? What would be what would be your chosen inanimate object? Um I mean an oven is bad, but all it can really do is burn you. I think you need something that's uh, multi purpose. Um what kind of object is like a perfect around the house multi do a vacuum cleaner? I was just thinking of vacuum cleaner. Yeah. Something, you know, but it has to be something that can really inflict horrific damage. Um, your phone? Yeah. Everyone's got that in their pocket. What if it suddenly opened up and... <laughs> Makes me think of Transformers with the phone. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Kind of, yeah. I did have an idea years ago, uh, a sort of parody of Christine, which is a laptop. Right. And I, I just imagine, you know when you get a laptop and you, you pull the, the switch at the front, you see the little teeth open mm. to unlock it, to open it up. What if they were actually teeth? Oh, that'd be good. And uh, the the to without wanting to be too crude, the scene I had in mind was a man watching adult pictures. Right. So a part of his body is exposed that would normally be, and then Ugh. crash zoom screams. Oh. Do you know what would be genuinely terrifying is the weird machine, the robot that cuts the grass outside our flats. Oh, the... the, the uh, there must be a good name for it. Terminator mower? Terminator yeah. Terminator 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 I'll be mow. Mower of murder, murder mower. Mm, hunter mower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah? Dawn of the lawn. I feel like a robot thing is already its own Yeah, well, they subject. Had what about a haunted hairbrush? All that. The blades come out, and as you brush your hair, it tears your scalp apart. Ugh. A toaster. toaster. A toaster that not only can cook your hands if you get stuff in there, it can fling stuff out at you, it can fire Whoa, like yeah. bits of metal. Uh, Unfriended had the blender, the hand blender. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Oh, yeah, what are those stupid things in America that shouldn't exist? The trash... Trash compactors. Oh, the, 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 the hand chewers. The chewers and the... Yeah. Why do they exist? Are they real? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're for... Ch- what, a, why do Americans pour bits of, like, solid food down the sink? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's something I want to know. And B, yeah, why do you have vicious chopping blades down your sink? <laughs> like, it just seems hugely And take your ring off before you use it. Yeah. Yeah, if oh. there's anyone from America's listening, just let us know. Explain what's going on there. Yeah, what is that about? What is that about? Mm. Okay, what about haunted toilet paper? What would it? What would it do? It'd be like a like a snake. It would wrap and crush. It would, yeah, and it'd wipe your bum. Yes. God damn! <laughs> what have we created? Yeah, I don't know. The opportunities are endless. Um, a camera that that strangles you with its cord. I don't know, man. I'm out. I'm, <laughs> well, clearly, I'm fresh out of ideas. <laughs> the shower. What about the shower? Yeah, the shower. There's many ways a shower can kill you. It turns to acid. Turns to acid, strangles you. Acid shower. We're done. We're done. We're sure. Ah, the bloody clothes era. The clothes. Oh my god, the things that could do. It could jump, couldn't it? It could. Bloop, it could jump. It's a spring. You catch your fingers and it really hurts if you don't do it properly. Mm. Yeah, I like it. What about the Pixar lamp? 
Yep. You got your hand out. (laughs) Splat, splat. Just crush you. Well, there's lots of opportunities. And maybe it's worth exploring one in the future. Mm. Indeed. Indeed. Mm. Ready. Hi there. And you are? Libby. You are here for the new collection turnaround. This is such an important night for us. A lot of people have been very keen to get their eyes on it. Jeans that automatically adapt to your body size. The Super Shapers! Lockdown activated. I want you to know I will do whatever it takes to make sure things go as scheduled. Oh my god. I'm so, like, totally excited I could just die. (laughs) Should, Should we call the police? We can't. We're in lockdown. What if there's a killer out there? Are you afraid there's a killer out there? Yeah. This summer. Get ready. For slacks. Okay. So we know two things. It loves Bollywood music. And it has a bindi on its forehead. Slacks. Small price to pay for an awesome ass. Welcome to Fortnite Schmortnite. Spectrevision, the company behind the 2019 Nicolas Cage starring Lovecraft adaption Color Out of Space, said Wednesday night that it has cut ties with the film's director Richard Stanley after he was accused of abuse by his former partner. Spectavision will no longer work with Richard Stanley, says the company's Twitter statement. We are proud of the talented cast and crew behind Colour Out of Space, yet we are horrified about the charges against this director. We will be donating future revenue from the film to charities devoted to stopping domestic violence. Now, well. it's, it's horrible. It really is. Like I, um, I tr- always try, and if I read an accusation, I'm tr- I program myself to hopefully sometimes you know look into it and work out if uh, the blame's been mm. fully proved and so forth but yeah. the, the what uh, his girlfriend had to say is absolutely horrific so what you're saying is scumbag absolute scumbag awful 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 yeah well, I don't understand like why it just defies any sort of logic it's well fair play to Spectrevision who as to my knowledge kind of jumped on it and went yep nah yeah we're not doing with him yeah out straight away Good. I hope, like, you know, obviously, if that is true, which it sounds like it is, um, I hope he never works in the industry again. That's absolutely terrible. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, moving on to happier stuff. Um, everyone's favourite documentary filmmaker and journalist Louis Ferrou will be making his return to the disturbing world of Joey Exotic. Okay. The Tiger King. Uh, the doc is currently titled Louis Ferrou, The Cult of Joey Exotic. It's feature length. And and from Collider, it will revisit the various events that have unfolded in the world of exotic animal ownership in the decades since he last chronicled the figure. So people who who don't know, Louis Fru did Tiger King before the big Netflix show came out last year, before it became like so Mm. mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So, uh, yeah, it's uh, also going to depict the fandom that Exotic has earned in the time since his incarceration. Yeah. so this is what Louis Fru had to say in a statement. He said, This is one of those quintessentially American stories taking place in the heartland of Oklahoma with a cast of characters almost too colourful and larger than life to be believed. 
I spent eight or nine days filming at the park back in 2011 over the course of three separate visits. I'd forgotten how much we shot until I went back into the footage during lockdown. It's extraordinary how much was there. Since then, the story has just got stranger and bigger. And uh, in going back at the end of last year, I uncovered a real life drama that took me in directions I never could have expected. So yeah. Ooh, I think, interesting. Um, it's widely known now that he was in fact a bloody scumbag. Um, the way he treated his animals was completely like, awful. But the whole that whole documentary was hugely gripping. So I'm like proper chuffed that we're getting more of it. I like you kind of want to hear more about the story, and especially like there was a lot of really likable characters in it as well. So yeah, yeah it's I never I didn't watch it. it skipped over me a little bit because by the time I was ready to watch it, the hype had completely fallen. It was this time last year, wasn't it? It was lockdown time. There was, I mean, there's been a couple of Netflix things that, that have got like hyperly, you know, popular, like Making mm. a Murderer yeah, yeah. and all sorts of other ones. But this, The Tiger King, was like the best by a mile. Okay, it very interesting. So, yeah, it was so good. So I think a lot of people would be happy about that. Um, moving on, uh, the director of Saw 9 wants to reboot The Leprechaun oh. if, his, if his Saw movie is a hit. Darren Bousman, director of Spiral, so he had uh, Saw 9, he said it's. Uh, well, he tweeted on St. Paddy's Day, so it could be like uh, just a bit of promotion, but he uh, tweeted Lionsgate saying, if Spiral is a success, can we talk about finally letting me have the Leprechaun franchise <laughs> and trying a little something-something with it? Just saying, for the last 10 years, love you. Um, lo- now, is that though an appropriate franchise for Sawman? Well, he's... Um, I don't know, like, maybe not, maybe because he's taken Saw back to its roots. Like, apparently, so the the Saw movies got more ridiculously gory as they went along. And I think what he's doing is he's kind of taking it back to the first okay, all right. one That's or two. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, it was more kind of like, oh, my God, this, this horrible situation. So, yeah, that doesn't indicate to the kind of black comedy of Leprechaun. So I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, I, I, I mean, speaking of SpectreVision, I'd like them to pick it up. The, uh, the director of Mandy... Uh, Panos Cosmatos. Um, do you remember the Cheddar Goblin scene? Yes. I want a whole film <laughs> about the Cheddar Goblin. And if it has to be a Leprechaun film, then so be it. Yeah, fair enough. That was phenomenal. I Would you like to see Warwick Davis back? I, I've, or would you like um, a new actor? Uh, well, Warwick Davis, if he's available, would be great. would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know who would be better. Who would replace him? As long as it's not CGI, let's long, it. yes, yes, a hundred percent not CGI. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Hopefully that will happen, and hopefully they can turn Warwick Davis back. It's very cool. Um, so another sort of serious one, a little serious. Mm. Um, so uh, actor Ralph Fiennes, Fiennes. How do you say it? Fines. Actor Ralph Fiennes, <laughs> Fiennes, has said he found the backlash against J.K. Rowling disturbing. Um, in regards to her sort of uh, anti-trans tweets. So for anyone who doesn't know exactly where the JK Rowling hate began, in 2018 she liked a tweet that referred to trans women as men in dresses, uh, which people did not get on with. Um, She received much more backlash in June last year, uh, 2020, when she posted a series of tweets criticising an article headline that used the trans-inclusive term people who menstruate instead of women. Uh, she followed up the tweet with a thread defending herself, saying that the conversation surrounding gender identity erases the shared reality of women. 
As Screen Ram puts it, the transphobic implications of these statements that trans women and men are not real women and men on a matter of biology were the driving force behind the outcry. So Ralph Fiennes has come out in uh, her defense and says, I can't understand the vitriol directed at her. I can understand the heat of an argument, but I find this age of accusation and the need to condemn irrational. I find the level of hatred that people express about views that differ from theirs and the violence of language towards others disturbing. So this is kind of like in reference to cancel culture as a whole, not just um, J.K. Rowling's uh, beliefs, I think. But- yeah, it, yeah. And I think a lot of people are starting to bite back on cancel culture. It's, it's one of those things that it probably starts in a good place. Well, definitely does start in a good place, but it's just carried by I would argue trolls yeah Um, it becomes very venomous um, and it's kind of very I don't know they really want to swing the axe and literally cancel these people and I like I I would always you know I I, from a neutral perspective I bloody grew up on Harry Potter it was in my like essence Harry Potter I absolutely love it to pieces but um, I understand like that what she said is damaging and I know Harry Potter is something that a lot of trans people growing up would have identified with and like found comfort in when they read it and so it must be very hurtful for them but I do think that some of it has gone too far but you know it's it's a it's a hard one and one which I'm definitely not qualified to go into well yes exactly I mean we're both we're both being very gentle but the fact of the matter is uh and this is one thing that's been fought back about. Cancel culture is the antithesis of comedy. Mm. Satire, for example. When you want to take the piss out of something, sometimes you might impersonate them. Sometimes you might air an idea that's bad. Does that mean you should be cancelled? Would the great dictator, Charlie Chaplin, would that be cancelled now because it's got a Nazi in it? Well, I guess it wouldn't, because I guess you get stuff like Jojo Rabbit, but um, I see what yeah, you mean. Yeah, but that got, that got hate. I did get a lot of that hate, didn't it? They got loads of hate. Taika Waititi got like, bombarded, didn't he? Yeah. With um, um, comments. I mentioned I've been playing Wolfenstein. The latest Wolfenstein game got... I mean, it's, this isn't. This was more the right who kicked off about it. But people kicked off because it's got Nazi killing in it. Because people identify in the 21st bloody century... People thought that was an attack on them. What? Do people just need to give everyone else a bit more credit and the ability to think for themselves? My, I've always, I can't remember who said it, but someone, someone in the sphere said it, and I completely agreed. I fact, it might have been Dan Harmon. Um, it's one thing to call out people and say you're wrong, but that won't help. Mm. If you say. Okay, well, take in America, for example, where there's been a lot of heat and arguments. You voted for the wrong person. That's not going to convince anyone. No. No, no, I 100% agree. So that's the main problem with cancelling. Don't cancel it. Discuss why it's wrong. Yeah. And move and grow as a society. Yeah, exactly. For exactly. God's sake. It's like um, you see warnings about... Uh, you know, this was okay back in the day on Faulty Towers, and mm. you know, uh, do you remember On the Moon by Weeble? No, uh, I'm the Toast King and I rule over the moon. Hello, I'm Insanity Prawn Boy. <laughs> yeah. you know that? Uh, that got flagged 
because there's a Nazi moon base. Oh, for goodness sake. Ah! It's ridiculous. I don't... I don't, know, I, don't, I, I don't think J.K. Rowling's a bad person. I think, you know, she was, she was a single mum who kind of battled her way into, like, success. And she's done amazing things for charity and stuff like that. I think she's got a wrong opinion. And like you say, she needs to be perhaps educated and understand why her comments can be so damaging. But she doesn't need to be cancelled. Like, I, there's, I, a, there's, I a, there's, a, there's a generation of... Uh, people who are in public eye J.K. Rowling's one of them um, Graham Linehan's the other who fought so hard for feminism when it meant nothing mm. so they fought so hard for women's rights um, and now they feel threatened because it's been in their eyes diminished because right. of trans rights mm. which is just so narrow minded it's extremely narrow minded yeah and it's this weird thought that women won't don't matter anymore because Eh? No. No, no. It's all the same thing, but yeah, I mean, as we say, not qualified, but yes, it's a it's a messy world. It's a messy and world. And sometimes it's best not to participate. Yes, yes, yes. Let's stop participating you, right now. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so concludes Fortnite Small Night. All right, and well, uh, final message, because we didn't have a show last week. Happy birthday to Kurt Russell and the Beano. Yes, noted. Well, not the Beano, Dennis the Menace. Oh, Dennis the Menace, yes. Dennis the Menace, who yeah, came onto our glorious national comic seventy years ago. Wonderful. Dennis the Menace is the example of a very, very weird coincidence. It came out exactly the same day as Dennis the Menace. The American Dennis the Menace, yeah. That's uh, same, same sort of socio-economic level. We're both suburbs. Both naughty children. Both naughty. Yeah. There's only one difference. American Dennis does stuff accidentally. He's a right. menace because he kicked a bucket that was holding up the beam. Mm. Blah blah. Whereas Arden is the menace, much more British, is a little git, a little chav who causes <laughs> trouble and kicks people. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, he uh, his first ever comic was uh, there was he's walking through the park with his dad, and um, his dad's walking the dog. And uh, there's a sign that says "Don't go on the grass." And he kept, he keeps being a little menace and going on the grass, and yeah, doing yeah, yeah. things on the grass. And his dad goes, "Right, that's it, Dennis." And he <laughs> and he takes the lead off of the dog and puts the lead on Dennis and walks Dennis like a dog. Yay! Yay! And yeah, that was that was the Beano. And um, yeah, I bloody love Dennis Menace as a kid. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I used to want fantastic. to be him. I wanted to be Dennis the Menace. I wanted to be Roger the Dodger, and I wanted to be in the Bash Street Kids. See, that's the thing. As I got older, Roger the Dodger. Yeah. Mm. That's that's the one. That is the the, the top. Of the yeah, player. yeah. I I grew to like Calamity James as well. Oh, so good with the little <laughs> squelchy thingies. Yeah, that nice the, little thing. Yes. That nice touch. Although everything had little mushrooms. Yeah. growing on it. And tags. <laughs> I wish I'd ye old. Yes. Ye yes. old rusty spoon. <laughs> ye old anvil that drops on his head. Ah. Absolutely amazing. I always wanted to be. So, sorry, we're going on too long about this, but just quickly, I wanted to be Sydney from the Bash Street Kids because he was the one who had all his pets. He'd bring in his giant snake and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. Very cool. I, was, I, I, I love that. I remember the tall, gawky one just being Ed from Ed, Ed and Eddie. Plug? Plug. That's Plug a very is... good memory. Plug was... Uh, uh, I could do better. Danny, <laughs> Sydney, Toots, Wilfred, Spotty, Fatty, Smithy, Plug, and Cuthbert, I think, was the nerd. That sounds right. I, d- I can't back you up, but uh, that but sounds right. Yeah, Bash Street Kids. Bloody Bam. hell, man. Very How the good. hell do I remember that? 
Yeah. 20 points. Cool. Yeah. So concludes Fortnite Shmore Night. I have a, a proposition I'd like to discuss with you. I've chartered an airplane to fly us over Isla Sorna, and we'd like you to be our guide. We'd love to make a contribution to your research here. It could almost be paradise. I got it forgotten. We have a landing strip up here. You cannot Jim. land on this island. Oh my god! But in this forbidden place, where man has tampered with nature. This is how you make dinosaurs? This is how you play God. Something unexpected has evolved. They can talk to each other. To a degree we never imagined. On July 18th, you probably won't get off this island alive. It's not just a walk in the park. They set a trap. They actually set a trap. Right then. Oh, so excited. So you randomly picked the word Robin. Yes, I did. And you landed on Jurassic Park 3. I thought it was obvious, but just in case you hadn't worked it out. Oh, so, right. okay. Jurassic Park 3 stars uh, Taylor Leone, right? Okay. Uh, she was in Fun with Dick and Jane, which stars Jim Carrey, who is an advocate for stronger gun control. There are guns in the James Bond movie, Die Another Day in which uh, Bond is chased by a giant laser beam. Okay. Lasers are often used in eye surgery. Um, who plays a surgeon in Doctor Strange? Exactly Benedict Cumberbatch, who was who admitted in a Graham Norton interview that he cannot say the word penguins. March of the Penguins is a 2005 documentary, narrate, documentary narrated by Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman was in a 1998 disaster movie, Deep Impact, which centred around a world-ending meteorite hurtling towards the Earth. A meteorite was the thing that is widely believed to have been the main cause of the extinction of the dinosaurs. Dinosaurs, I hear you say, Jurassic Park 3. Also, Deep Impact. Starred Taylor There we go. So, I mean, the... Could have skipped a few steps in there. <laughs> I, just wanted pe- I just wanted people to be sure... But the links between, you know, Robin and Jurassic Park 3 are too many to mention. All right. Well, well done. Yeah. So there we go. And that's where we landed on um, the most underrated franchise movie of all time. One of certainly the most underrated sequel. Yeah. A (laughs) hundred percent. So Jurassic Park is one of your films, right? It's one of my films, yeah. It's just Rob. Yeah. It is. All over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what... Is your memory of watching Jurassic Park 3? Well, I can, what I can tell you I remember more than anything is it, it was announced and I was absolutely like over the moon. And one day I read somewhere or I was constantly Googling it on my dad's clunky old fat desktop. And this was in the very early days of being able to watch trailers on YouTube or whatever. And all of a sudden, uh, a trailer. Trailer had been announced. And I remember... Such was the quality of the internet back then, trying to get it to load. And it took about <laughs> it took about two hours to load the video just so we could watch one trailer. And I kept going back into my, my dad's computer room until it was ready and then I watched it. I was like, oh my God, what is that thing? When a Spinosaurus came along. And yeah, and I remember being annoyed after watching the film. And then I bought Empire magazine and they gave it like three stars or something. And I was like, why? Haven't How they, dare they? Why haven't they given it five? 
Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's uh, it's for me, it is unironically one of my favourite films. <laughs> I think I agree. I remember watching, I watched it in Penrith in the Lake District with my cousin. Uh, watched it in an old little cinema which still had red curtains that they opened at the start of the film and most importantly it still had an intermission where we bought ice cream can you remember when in the film the intermission was it would have been around the mm, i don't remember exactly but i do remember when we watched it in our screening the other day i remember the when they escape the Spinosaurus hmm. and they go into a hut, hmm. which is the stairs down to the Avery. Yeah. That bit sticks in my head as if that's burned into my brain. So I wonder if it was there. I wonder if it was that. i tell you one thing I do remember being very annoyed about, and it was the fact that, uh, spoiler alert, um, I'm hoping you've all seen it. What? Spoilers? The Spinosaurus wins a fight with a, with a franchise favourite. Quite dramatically yes and um fine fanatically it was done it was a done deal and at the time as a kid i was kind of very shocked and very saddened that my big my big <laughs> buddy had been so horrifically murdered uh but yeah um, i remember thinking that was so bloody cool yeah i was really i was really blown away when i left the cinema i remember going that was amazing <laughs> and also i uh really like the comedy in it oh yeah it really stood out it didn't feel too silly but it was fun well that is... and also the also the horror like it is silly but there is a couple moments that are genuinely terrifying yeah oh absolutely absolutely it's um it feels more like a horror movie in a way tonally like i know people there are people listening right now who are thinking what the hell are they going <laughs> on about but honestly it gets everything right that the jurassic park movies don't tonally um, which we'll get into a bit later. Doing Jurassic World. Jurassic World, sorry. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Um, yes, it's very much so, yeah. But yeah, 2001, directed by Joe Johnston. Um, it centres around... It starts off with a kid um, hang gliding. Hang gliding? Uh, water, whatever that thing is where uh, a boat goes along. Yeah. And you kind of hang glide on a rope. Um, whatever that sport Parasailing. Is. Parasailing. Yes. They're connected to a boat. It's called Dinosaur. It's an illegal operation. Mm. And they're, they're very close to a very sort of familiar looking island. It looks very green and mountainy and subtropical. So, yeah, you're thinking they shouldn't probably be there. No, definitely not. And then a strange, mysterious, completely inexplicable, misty fog comes along. <laughs> well, this is the first moment that feels like a horror film. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they're, so Eric and Tom, Ben, um, some adult guy. Oh, I knew his name earlier. No, I need to... Ben. Hilde- ben Hildebrand. Right. And Eric Kirby. Eric Kirby. Uh, so they're on, the, they're on the parasail and they're looking down and suddenly there's a tug. Yep. And they go, whoa, whoa, who's that? And look down and the crew of the boat are missing and everything's torn up. Oh! What was that? I don't know. Uh, hold on. What's happening? Hold on. I 
no idea what happened to them. So was it the mist? <laughs> was it the pirates in the mist? I well, let me put my dinosaur specs on. It could have been a pterosaur that escaped from the birdcage, but the door was locked, mm. which leads me to believe it could have been an early Mosasaurus, which we didn't see until the Jurassic World series. But in open ocean, if that's what got a out terrible already, idea, yeah, how did that one get out? I don't know. I don't know. It could be anything, or it could have. It could have been. The, the, we know the Spinosaurus can swim underwater. That's true. I did. Could have been a Spinosaurus. The, yeah, could have been mystery. Yeah, what mystery, a mystery. We won't know. But the important thing is that it means that Ben and Eric um, have to detach themselves and soar onto the island. Yes. Where things go badly wrong, as we find out later. Yeah. Badly wrong, like wit un- incomprehensibly wrong. Yeah, the planning of the rescue expedition. So, what well, we just mention while we're on the topic? So Ben is an adult. Yes. He oh is, God. Yeah. He okay. is escorting Eric. Yeah. We see later on in the film that they land ish mm. uh, in the parasail. Eric gets away. We see this via a CCTV, uh, CCTV, a camcorder. Eric gets away, but Ben is just. A skeleton. Yeah, he so incapable of undoing himself from the parachute, uh, from the you know the 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 strappings. Yeah, the harness. Um, Eric manages to you know he escapes and uh, finds himself like a water van, I think he called it or something, and you know some sort of abandoned van. Um, And yeah, he then turns into a skeleton. He over the course of eight weeks, Mm. he's no there's no damage to the harness or the parasail, but he has no skin left. Mm. Let me just put on my dinosaur specs for a second. <laughs> so my theory when we were watching the film, but it could have been some compies, Comsignathus. Just pecked that him apart. Pecked him to pieces. We do know that in the Lost World, um, someone lost their lives to the, to the nasty compies. So it, but he was in the, still in the tree. Okay, well, I think they could climb, potentially, could they? Could they? But it must have been immediate because he still had the harness on. It's it yeah. just it, it's, it's just weird. It, you know, it's, it's tough. It's tough. The only thing I can imagine is he actually died on impact. Well, not died in impact, but he was injured. Yeah, I like, this is the theory of yours I like. So maybe he had a mortal wound and he heroically managed to get Eric down without worrying him. He's yeah. like, you get down, you get down. Oh! Yeah. Uh, now I die. Uh, yeah. Tell your mother I love her. Uh, yeah. And then, so... And maybe a swarm of mosquito-sized dinosaurs because it's all DNA stuff. Because they all got eaten. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So yeah, that happened. But meanwhile, meanwhile, we have uh, so uh, in the Lost World, you know that they decided bizarrely to go with Ian Malcolm as the protagonist, Jeff Goblin's Ian Malcolm as the sort of as the main guy for the second. For the third, they go back to Sam Neill. Yeah, they go. They get the bloody right thing. <laughs> they uh, Sam Neill oozes charm, mm. um, and actually, Alan Grant does as well it's yes. not even just sam neil the character of alan grant is so bitter he's so sarcastic he do you know one of the f- few things they got right in indiana jones 4 was they make it make him more grumpy and old manny and it's very endearing and that exact same sort of grumpiness is yes. there in sam neil's character apparently in apparently sam neil agreed to be in just about three because he felt he didn't do the character justice in the first film which hmm. is Boggles the mind. It really does. His relationship with um with Lex and Tim. Well, he's like, the, you know all, all of that stuff. He's the soul of the film. He's the father figure that is that what yeah. the whole thing's based on. Um, but obviously he wanted to do a different direction, and so his all his energy is put into being a grumpy man. Yes, 
Speaking of Kurt Russell, could have been a Kurt Russell character as oh, well. Wow. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Doctor Alan Grant, he's um, he's been working on books since the first film. Boring uh, seminars, university lectures to death with his theories on velociraptor intelligence. Were it not for the cataclysmic events which overtook them, it is entirely possible that raptors rather than humans would have become the dominant species on this planet. I hope this has been of interest. It certainly excites us as paleontologists. There is much, much more to discover. That is why we continue to need and ask for your support. It's also very clear that he is sick of the idea of the Jurassic Park creatures. Yeah. In Gen, he says, created mo- uh, theme park monsters, monsters yeah. and not real dinosaurs. Um, he also learns to hate dinosaurs, as we discover. He wrote two books, one before the island and one after, and the after, he hates them. Yes. <laughs> and it meant for much less desirable reading. Um, yeah, so uh, enter the Kirby's. Um, he's he's got a kind of uh, student he's taken under his wing, Doctor Grant, called Billy. He's kind of like a, a handsome, uh, mischievous, but very uh, intelligent kind of young, up and coming sort of paleontologist. He's trying to, you know, um, played by Alessandro Nivola. Yeah, who I, I'm not sure if he's been in. Oh, he's been he, loads. Of he's stuff. been in. A, I recognise him from something. Uh, Neon Demon, American Hustle. Yeah, he's yeah, he's Billy, he's Billy. Um, yeah. And you know they're working on a dig site. They're worried about funding, and then the Kirby's show up with a proposition. So Paul Kirby, played by William H Macy, who whenever you see him, immediately you think villain. Is that just me? No, I always think cowering, weak, um, villain, not manly enough. Okay. I, I don't. I, I never think uh, evil streak or anything. I think of him in Fargo. He's a wife killer. Right. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and Tia as Amanda, his... They pose as husband and wife, but we find out that's a lie. Um, they are ex. Well, that's a very kind offer, Mr. Kirby, but I'm a very, very busy man. I, I can recommend a couple of guys who are really highly qualified that... No, no, no. You're the best. You've seen these animals in the flesh. There's no one who comes close to you. You wouldn't be able to fly low enough to see anything of any real interest. Well, see, that's the interesting part, because we have permission to fly low. How low? Well, I'm no aviation expert, but a heck of a lot lower than anybody else, I can tell you. From what I understand, it's pretty much, it's whatever we want. That's hard to believe. Well, you see, through my business dealings, import, export, emerging markets, I've made a lot of friends in high places. In this case, the Costa Rican government. Dr. Grant. You have no idea how important it is to us that you come along. It would make all the difference. This is Kirby And of course, we'd love to make a contribution to your research here. So, I could write all kinds of numbers on this check, Dr. Grant. Tell me, what's it going to take? you the greatest scene in cinematic history um a plane if you will a dream sequence a horrific monster that speaks the human language alan alan wake up i'm almost there alan alan what's up peanuts yeah no it's a yeah so the the plane's going over isla sauna uh 
Alan falls asleep and wakes up to a velociraptor. <laughs> Which I remember, I can't remember if it scared me or if I laughed out loud in the cinema. I suspect the second one. I was just, I was just confused. I was just like, what? <laughs> How does it get in there? Um, but it, it, the weird thing they did with that from a continuity point is they decided to give it the feathered crest and yes. it didn't go over the Jurassic Park 1 Velociraptor, which is a kind of little little continuity taboo because he wouldn't be introduced to these boys and girls yet. I suppose uh, Alan's used to real ones, which have yeah. feathers, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, so you can, you can dust that under. Uh, but yeah, so they're on this plane, but they realise quite quickly that they're surrounded by not just tourists, very... Like- Strong-looking men. Ex-security marini types. Yes, the bad people. Um, and Alan's particularly shot when the plane starts landing. Mm. Uh, and then one of them knocks him out. Very rude. Very I always rude. thought that was a very kind of take-it-to-eleven reaction to someone protesting against your mission. Mm. Knock him out. Uh, they land. Alan wakes up to find that they've landed already. And... Amanda is screaming, using a megaphone. The big burly men are walking around with massive guns. Something's not right. And so, straight in, within a few minutes of landing on the island... We have to leave! We have to leave now! What's going on? Why can't we... What about the other guy? Spinosaurus comes out, eats him, they crash into a Spinosaurus, fly into the forest, smash and almost die, and the tree gets lodged, and then they get attacked again. And how many minutes was it? This is 27 minutes. 27 minutes into this film, we see not only the Spinosaurus, not only have we had a man explode on the front of a a plane, but then... Well, um, maybe that's stepping over a few steps, but... And then a really T-Rex appears. Then a T-Rex appears! And has a fight! Yeah! And then... <laughs> I mean, and this is in between them running through a stampede of dinosaurs. There's so much going on straight off the bat, and it's brilliant. It's so good! Uh, the brilliant... The, what's best about it is we... Well, this is the thing. I cared Yeah. that these people were in trouble, because I sort of... I don't know what it is... you're sort of introduced to them all anyway, but you are drawn to them. And you do know why, you know at this point why they're all there. Mm. You know that um, it's revealed that the Kirbys are actually there to find their son. Um, Billy is just sort of joining in the fun. You've got a couple of mercenaries who are um, just trying to stay alive. And Grant you're with anyway because he's been tricked. Mm. And you you support all of these characters as they're being rolled around in a massive physical plane. Yeah, yeah, with, yeah. with huge dinosaur hands and legs built by the Stan Winston Company. There's just so much going on. So much going on. It's so good. Um, it's like there's a scene in uh, in King Kong in Peter Jackson's King Kong where there's a dinosaur stampede. And it's too silly. There's all these. There's about a thousand dinosaurs squashed in together on a really thin cliff, all tumbling together, and the humans are inexplicably bouncing between them and not getting squashed. <laughs> right, okay. Make characters. This everything's perfect. Everywhere the dinosaurs are running is perfect. Everywhere they're going is perfect. The decision making is great. Um, it's just fantastic. Well, the, we've like, seen at this point we've seen two deaths as well, hmm. and both of them are very visceral. 
Yes. And ve- with the guy in front of the plane, which bizarrely was a Lego set. I still can't get over that. It's a horrific scene. Um, the guy in front of the plane who get, gets squished, he's like crying for help and mercy before he gets eaten. And he's like the most butch one of them all. Yeah. He's kind of like sobbing his eyes out. Um, the, the, the pilot who has a phone with a very distinctive ringtone. Which we'll play now, no doubt. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, he gets... Similarly, he's grabbing for dear life as he gets pulled out the wreckage of the plane and chomped. Mm. Oh. Yeah. And Crunched. there's al- also there's a moment of humour. The first sort of... Well, one of the first drops of humour. When they escape the Spinosaurus at first... <laughs> Find a corpse. A carcass. A carcass. It's okay, it's dead. Nobody move a muscle. Yeah, they managed to get away, and then we're in, and we're just, and we have time to catch our breath with them. Mm, And it's, yeah. um, yeah, it's great. So, yeah, so what follows is they journey through the island. They're looking for, for Eric, but they're sort of... We're getting lots of character stuff as well. They... One of the things set up early on is that Alan Grant has become obsessed with velociraptors, particularly on their level of intelligence. Yes. Um, there's talk of... They, they use, like, a 3D printer to make this resonating chamber, this larynx that lets the dinosaurs talk to each other. That's why they were so deadly in the first film. Uh, which comes to a quite a, a quick opening in this, when they stumble on a nest. Uh, immediately identified as raptor eggs. Yeah. yeah, And they, and they kind of panic. <laughs> hmm. um, um, what that leads to is um, another really good sort of subplot within the movie is the morals and um, like Billy... As we learn later, he takes two of the raptor eggs because purely for the reason of funding their yeah. their digs for years to come. And there's a really sort of horrible, well, kind of sad moment where Dr. Grant turns to him and says, as far as I'm concerned, you're no better than the people that built this place. Yeah. Saying that to his protege. Yeah, I thought that was that always uh, kind of hit me hard as this guy who like, really just wanted to impress yeah. Dr. Grant. So I had that going on. But, you know, that's skipping the, the lab scene, the abandoned... The abandoned lab is one of my favourite sequences. This is why this film's up there for me. Mm. When they're, they're, they're walking around, there's all these incubation chambers and stuff. And then there's a load of, like, tanks, uh, like, embryo tanks. And uh, Amanda's just wandering around having a look. And she's all this little, oh, little, little baby, little baby one, little... This one's empty, this one's smashed. Oh, that one's got a head in it. They've got a whole dinosaur in there. She, she peers at it quizzically. And then its eye moves. Ugh, and it jumps out. There's that horrible little kind of jolted violin noise. Yeah. Oh, it's so... I've absolutely... That really sticks in my head. Yeah. And what's real nice is at this point... So this is 2001. This is past the golden age of CGI. Mm. We've talked about with Starship Troopers and, and the first Jurassic, Jurassic Park as well. Yeah. But the effects in this are still very good. Yeah, fantastic. I'd say some of the CGI stuff is a bit janky, partly because it's all daylight, I think. Yeah. But it's... the model stuff is just phenomenal. It's proper the classic C- Stan Winston. The models are fantastic. Uh, the CGI is much better than Jurassic World. Well, um, shall we get into that, shall we? 
I, I, well, before we get into that, I, I quickly want to say, like, we have to talk about the scene with the phone and Dr. Grant and Eric <laughs> hearing the phone. Oh, my God, Dad, it's Dad's ringtone. Let's run, let's run, let's run to the fence. It's such a good scene. <laughs> so there's two, at this point, there's two groups. Alan, they've been split in half. Alan and uh, finds Eric. They're wandering around. Meanwhile, we've got the Kirby's and Billy. It's just yeah. them, isn't it, at this point? Uh, Cur- yes, yeah, Kirby's and Billy, because uh, the other guy's been uh, horrifically murdered, yes. as, as is Jurassic Park tradition. <laughs> um, and both sides hear the phone. Mm. And they think, oh, that's the phone. Let's go get it. And Eric hears it. And it's his dad. It's his dad. They both run and they run and they meet in a field. But there's a fence. How, how did you know we were here? The phone, that stupid jingle from the store, I heard it. My phone? Yeah, your satellite phone. Where is it? I don't have it. When did you use it last? Uh, 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 on the plane. I got a call on the plane and... What? What? I loaned it to Nash. He must have had it when he... Turn around slowly. <laughs> Who's there? He's found them and is literally thinking, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so villainous. It's so villainous. And it's, it's, you can see that the inspiration was the uh, the ticking clock from yeah. Peter Pan at that point. Uh, <laughs> just chaos erupts. <laughs> it's, it's another one of those scenes, isn't it? They managed to inexplicably find this perfectly torn out gap in the fence and they yeah, kind of yeah. all embrace and they think the Spinosaurus, the Spinosaurus runs off looking defeated. No! Smashes through the steel fence and chases him again. It's the film, the script of this film, and watching it again, it does feel quite quick. Mm. And not a huge amount happens when you compare it to the first film, for example, that has all this different stuff going on. Not a huge amount happens, but it's it's such a straightforward adventure. That's what's good about it. And things, and everything ties up. Like we hear that um, Paul's been learning to swim. Yeah. And that comes up later. Uh, the the amazing phone comes back a couple of times the after last... spending ages to, to find showing us what that horrible tune is. Uh, Billy re- uh, mentions his lucky pack at the start of the film, yep, yep. Um, which is a callback to the Lost World, where there's also a lucky pack, and um, yeah, um, and then yeah, it's just great. I mean, the thing. So if we're going to talk about this compared to the Jurassic World movies, because and, and I remember a couple of months ago we did a podcast and I found that I think Collider, I could be wrong, did a top five, the best Jurassic Park oh, yeah. movies in order. And they yeah, put yeah. Jurassic Park 3 last, <sighs> um, which is absolutely wrong. Let's just say that now. But the thing that Jurassic World does is it. Um, I feel it panders like it. It tries to tell you exactly what they think you've asked for. It says, oh, we're going to give you Jurassic Park, but we're going to give you an action hero yeah. who's really cool. Um, we're going to... And then there's a, a really poorly written female character. and um, Oh, the, the action hero is going to communicate with the Velociraptors and they're going to love him. And Yes. You know, and all this stupid well, stuff. The, so Jurassic... What this, we had a conversation off mic about this. Jurassic World and Force Awakens did the same thing. It is literally pandering. It's uh, something made by fans. Yeah. They are fans of the thing. They are making the thing they wanted to see. Yeah. And it comes across as a kid with toys going, (laughs) It does. Um, So Jurassic World does a few things. It sets up a bigger world. Of course it does. 
But it sets up a bigger baddie than the T-Rex and it makes such a point about the bigger bad. This People were bored of the T-Rex. We made something bigger. This is bigger than the T-Rex, yeah. So, we yes, you've done that. It's the Spinosaurus. The Spinosaurus is that. It's very clearly supposed set up as the bigger badder T-Rex because it murders the T-Rex in the first 20 minutes. Mm, I agree. So, it's, it, so Jurassic World, that was it didn't do that. Jurassic Part 3 did that. Um, it's trying to be funny. Yep. It's, oh, it's trying to be funny all the time. And it, with the hipster bloody programmers. The humour in Jurassic Park 3 is sparing <laughs> and it's kind of like um, it's snide and it's, it's, I don't know, a lot of it comes from Dr. Grant kind of being a bit grumpy and commenting on... Well, a lot of it's a little tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. Like it's taking the piss out of itself slightly. Yeah, but it's very, it's, it's not unleashed upon no, you no. it's not unwantedly unleashed upon you whereas Jurassic World it's sh- you know well so most m- the biggest thing for me which I absolutely hated in Jurassic World was the use of the theme oh yeah so you've got this epic score that everyone knows in Jurassic World it just wastes that opportunity it just goes bleh <laughs> here's some John Williams <laughs> You dirty peasants. And it comes on when we're watching the horrible little scrote children on a on a monorail. The kids that have 0% of the charm of Joseph Mazzello yeah. and um, the, the other one. But can't the, there's not even any dinosaurs on the screen. No. It's a, it's a theme park. It might as well be Universal Studios. Well, yes, exactly. So, whereas in Jurassic World, it does... It doesn't quite use it perfectly, but it uses it much more reserved. Yeah. Because it comes in, am I right, it comes in when we see the island. Yes, it comes in when we see the island. So uh, that's quite a grand like yeah. postcard image, isn't it? Yeah. I think it, 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 it over like that, it maybe didn't have to use it there, but it is the iconography of what we know about the world of Jurassic Park. Yeah. So it's combining it with that. Well, yeah. it's like, we're back. Yeah, 100%. Um, it's also used when they're on the plane... When everything's still going well, and he looks out and goes, "I've forgotten." Brachiosauruses and yeah. Stegosauruses running along the plains and stuff. And... Uh, so yeah, so that's one thing Jurassic World did wrong. Hmm. Uh, we mentioned the children. Yes. So, Eric, Eric has a problem in that he is an early noughties, late nineties boy. Yeah. Who is super smart? So. See your Anakin Skywalker, for example. He's off to, yeah, he's he's fighting a losing battle. It's, it's going to be very hard to like him. On the other hand, he's fine. Yeah. He's not smug. No. He's not checking out girls when he's still got a girlfriend. Yeah. He's fine. He's not crying every four seconds because his mum... <laughs> he's, he's independent, he's smart, and probably lucky. And he's a survivalist, and he yeah. wants to survive. Yeah. Agreed. And agreed. he reacts like a human as well. There's a, the wonderful sequence, which is apparently supposed to be in both of the first films, I think, which is the, the Avery, mm. the Pterodon Avery, uh, which was cut out for budget reasons before, but they crammed it in here. There's a po- point when they're walking over a bridge that they can only go over one at a time in the mist. Oh my God. The spooky mist. And as Eric's walking through this mist, we can't see either side. Suddenly, boom. <laughs> The bridge is a shuddering of the of the handles, yeah. And a horrible monster appears, a pterodon. And he has such a good human reaction. He just legs it. 
He just legs it. There's no smart Alec quip. He doesn't scream. The quip came beforehand, and the quip was, it's a birdcage. <laughs> yeah. And it was beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So Jurassic World, it's just a me- it's just a big bloated mess, but it is a kind of a ripoff of Jurassic Park Three. Jurassic Park Three does so much better with so much less. The only kind of real, well, I'm sure there's more, but the only reference I can remember of Jurassic Park Three and Jurassic World was the T Rex getting his own back by smashing through the Spinosaurus skeleton oh, on his way to fighting the Indominus Rex, <laughs> which. I'm kind of going against myself. I did think was really cool when I watched Jurassic World. Okay. Because um, I like uh, I do love that T-Rex. And I will, during any T-Rex scenes in Jurassic World, I'll kind of make myself forget any sort of rubbishness just so I can enjoy her. Mm. Uh, Rexy, you know. Oh, that's the point. That reminds me as well. I, the raptors in Jurassic Park 3 are much more sinister and much more intelligent than Jurassic World. Jurassic World, they're set up to be clever. They're set up to be able to communicate with, I ju- with Hero Boy. I just wasn't... Yeah, no, sorry, go on. But in Jurassic Park 3, they are a community mm. that reacts to itself. Yeah, they're a There's family a- of plotting, angry, vengeful yeah. dinosaurs who want their babies back. And they're doing something animalistic as well, which feels quite real. Yeah. As we said as well, the Spinosaurus just feels evil. He's just a baddie. Um, but the Velociraptors are very... There's a point when they catch up to the heroes who still have the eggs and they surround them and just watch as the lead one comes in, creeps in, like Peter Law. Hello! They would definitely be British (laughs) villains, wouldn't they? Um, And they communicate using the thing and it's very smart and it's a callback. Mm. They're just dogs in Jurassic World, aren't they? They're just loyal pups, and they've they've also done something weird with the CGI, so they look kind of bigger-eyed and more gecko-y, I don't know. Yeah, like, that's I, true. Yeah. I lose the... Watching the Velociraptors in the Jurassic World movies, I lose the familiarity. They're not the Velociraptors I know. Something's changed about them, mm. and it's just different for me. Yeah. I, I don't know. I... I just I don't understand how anyone in their right mind could say that the two Jurassic World movies are better than Jurassic Park three. Um, that, yeah, and I think that's the that's the point of this slightly. I think. Yeah. I think. Uh, yeah, we love Jurassic Park three because it's tells its story. It's a fun romp. Yeah. It. I read somewhere that Ray Harryhausen was a direct influence for a lot of the sequences in this film, and you can tell, and it's fun because of it. There's a sequence in the river that's brilliant yes with the yes, spinosaurus that's almost it's almost on t-rex with the cars in just part one level yeah and uh it's uh, and that's so b-movie it's so 50s it's so b-movie and not only is it b-movie in 50s and wonderful it is a scene that they took out from the first book that they didn't have space to shove into the first movie when the t-rex is stalking the right. boat along uh but yeah no it's very b-movie it's very uh it's just very likable i think um, yes, I'm sure many of you listening will probably disagree <laughs> with a lot of the things that we've said. Yeah, but but what? T- tell us why. Tell if that's us the case. why. Um, yeah, no, it's great. It's wonderful. It's fantastic, and uh, yeah, um, is it going in the Hollowdale Media Hall of Fame? Yes. Yay! Yes, it is. <laughs> ah, fantastic. <laughs> Who would have thought? Me and you. <laughs> 
Well, there you go. So, yes, Jurassic Park 3, seal of approval. It's all on Amazon Prime as well, if you want to remind yourself. And as you noticed, uh, 4K. Yeah, there's a 4K UHD, which uh, I've not really dipped my toe into properly yet. No. But it's pretty good. Um, so, yes, that's it for the re- the in-depth discussion this week. Next time, it'll be the trilogy. The f- Yes, the concluding chapter of our Easter special bank holiday wonder pieces. We are, of course, talking about Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade. Yes, the arguably the best one. Mm-hmm. You could argue mm-hmm. the first or the third. Yep, yeah, de- definitely not the second. De- definitely <laughs> not the fourth. But yeah. Fourth. So, uh, yeah, look forward to that. In a couple of weeks' time, um, go watch them and you could join in the chat at home. Yes, yes, do. Adam's Film Reviews. Suspiria, 2018. In the beginning, she gave me things. Perfect balance. Perfect sleep. Oh, she wants to get inside of me. I can feel her. Oh, she can see me. When you dance the dance of another, you make yourself in the image of its creator. I feel like I'm not even here yet. The dumpling's incredible. One, two, three. The way she transmits her work. You have to decide what is it you want to be for this company. There's more in that building than what you can see, Doctor. dangerous people I don't talk about it often but I'm a closet giallo fan oh I doubt I could list many off but there's something about Italian horror that's a lot of fun a few years ago I delved into the genre and found myself confronted with the works of Dario Argento specifically his 1977 supernatural horror film Suspiria oh man I loved it with the soundtrack by Goblin ringing in my ears for days, I couldn't get enough and ended up buying the restored Blu-ray where the colours and the cinematography just work so perfectly. Suspiria truly is a work of art, even if there isn't much plot to shout about. Part of the reason behind my sudden dive into this was the upcoming remake, which, for time, meant I'd better bloody watch the original first. When 2018 rolled around, Suspiria was... It was released, and uh, I heard nothing about it. I think it was released in the cinema for a day or two, and then nowhere, it'd gone. It had vanished. Eventually, it was released onto Amazon Prime, but by then I'd sort of forgotten about it. Until this weekend. Directed by Luca Guadagnino and adapted by David Kajkanik from the original screenplay by Dario Argento and Daria Nicolodi. 2018's Suspiria strips away all of the art, craft and musical moments and throws us in to a gritty, realistic, ugly world of Cold War Berlin. Here we meet Dr. Joseph Klempera, played by Tilda Swinton for some reason. Joseph is a doddery old man who looks like he's been played by Johnny Knoxville under an inch of latex, but, more importantly, he's a psychotherapist. When one of his patients, Patricia Hingle, played by Chloe Grace Moretz, goes missing, Joseph begins to dig into the mysterious 
Marcos Dance Academy and its incredibly suspicious matrons. Meanwhile, Susie Bannon, played by Dakota Johnson, is inducted into the Dance Academy, where her dance skills and physical prowess impresses her teachers. Specifically, Madame Blanc, played by Tilda Swindon. As Susie grows in the eyes of her teachers, we begin to see the hidden, murky depths of the academy. When one of the students, Olga, played by Eleanor Fockener, openly calls the matrons out for their abuse of power and, yes, witchcraft, she is stopped from leaving the academy and lured into an enclosed room where her disobedience is punished in a particularly brutal and unnerving way. When this film originally came out, this was the scene I heard most about, but you know what, it's alright. Nothing else. As time passes, we begin to see an abstract and, let's face it, utterly incomprehensibly pretentious story unfold. The story, mired in its themes of motherhood, guilt and abuse of power, plods through endless dialogue scenes, vagaries and some interminably long dance routines. We also see far too much of Joseph wandering around doing stuff. Thinking about his missing wife? Something? Unlike the 1977 original, it's hard to really pin down who we're supposed to be following in the 2018 film. We're following Susie, sort of, but despite Johnson's presence on screen, there's not much character to go off. Far more interesting is Sarah Sims, played by Mia Goff. A fellow student in Marcus Dance Academy, Sarah is introduced as a favourite of the matrons but soon begins to lose faith in the academy when she realises both Patricia and Olga appear to have disappeared. As her suspicions grow, she reaches out to Joseph and the pair begin to investigate their disappearances with more gusto. And this is where the film got more interesting to me. But as the academy works towards a dance show with Susie in the main role, we are once again treated to long sequences of nothing before a final nightmarish sequence drags us over the coals and sets us on our way after a fairly impressive twist of the knife. It's safe to say I kinda hated the 2018 Suspiria. While I appreciated the use of dancing as a storytelling medium in this, unlike the original which may as well just have been set in a boarding school for all the actual dancing we see, and the characters of the matrons being more fleshed out, that was pretty cool. I just could not get on board with this. I would go so far as to say it felt like there was just too much going on for the film's own good. We don't need vague holocaust stories in a spooky witch film. Christ, we definitely don't need Tilda Swindon playing the role of a cartoonishly impossible old man. What the hell was that about? I don't know if you know, but when the film came out, the filmmakers, and Tilda herself, insisted it was a real old man in that role. Why? It looked pathetic and added nothing, except raise a red flag that these filmmakers were talking utter balls. A sure sign this was a film to dodge. I've heard Suspiria rewards multiple viewing. That might be true. I would say that much. Also, Tom York's soundtrack adds an element of soul to the film, but on the surface level, avoid. Avoid this at all costs. If you're really, really masochistic, it is available on Amazon Prime. Good luck. It's all a mess. 
I forgot to mention something about Jurassic Park 3 just briefly. On the, my game Jurassic World Evolution, I've been oh, playing on the Switch, God. I just got to Isla Sauna, unlocked, and lo and behold, what do I see before me? Stegosaurus and the Spinosaurus. It's oh already there. God. I haven't even incubated it. They're roaming wild, and the first thing that happens is, is that naughty Spinosaurus kills the Stegosaurus. And I was very happy. Well done. Um, yes. But moving on to more pressing matters, I just thought I'd give that a mention. Well, yes, that's the show this week. Um, Rob, do you want to do all the sign-offs while I list the films I haven't seen in the Academy Award nominees? Uh, yeah, why don't you follow us at, uh, the Holo- father, at Hollowdale Media Judas on and the Black Twitter, Messiah. also at Hollowdale Media on Instagram. Uh, you can Nomadland. also, if you want, subscribe Promising to our Patreon. Young woman. Please visit www.patreon.com/hollowdalemedia to become a patron just for the price of a cup of coffee a month you get access to all sorts of exclusive content and you can help us fund our future projects all of the money goes straight into our projects and we'll make loads of really cool stuff for you alright very good wow there you are Uh, Hillbilly Elegy what are these movies I have no idea hmm well, I can tell you that the trial of the Chicago Seven is very good, and um, another round. Oh, uh, uh, the Mauritian. The sound of metal. The white tiger. The wolf walkers. Oh, whatever. We'll catch up. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, uh, we'll be back around Easter. We'll be back around Easter. What was that? That was a whip from the man. They call Indiana Jones. <laughs> I thought that was the name of a dog. They named a dog Indiana.